Warning, today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Okay, and we're back for yet another Then Is Now 13 Days of Hallowtober. Today, we're going to talk about the movie The Descent, which I find is a scary movie. And uh, we want to see what you think. And I want to see what my co-host thinks. Spency Dompies is with us today. Welcome, Spency. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I had to change my pants after watching The Descent, but I think we're all good now. I kid, I kid, of course. <laughs> just, hey, give me a smile. Gino, are you sure we're going the right way? I've never been lost in my life. <laughs> There's only one way out of this chamber, and that's down the pipe. I'm stuck! I can't breathe! Okay, Sarah, you have to calm down. I'm coming, I'm coming back, okay? Okay. Okay, move! Now! Now! This is not good, guys. Can we get out of here? Which way? I don't know. Sarah, but you saw someone back so there. So what? I don't think I saw someone. I saw someone! No, you heard something and you saw what you wanted to see. It's the dark. It plays tricks on people. their way back from whitewater rafting with her friends Juno and Beth, Sarah, along with her husband Paul and their daughter Jessica, are involved in a car accident when Paul is distracted. Paul and Jessica are killed, but Sarah survives. One year later, Sarah, Juno, and Beth, as well as friends Sam, Rebecca, and newcomer Holly, are reunited at a cabin in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina for a spelunking adventure. The next day, they hike up to a cave entrance and descend. While in the cave, Juno apologizes to Sarah for not being there for her after the accident, but Sarah is distant. 
After the group moves through a narrow passage, it collapses behind them, trapping them. After a heated discussion, Juno admits that she's led the group into an unknown cave system instead of the fully explored cave system that they had originally planned to visit, and so rescue is therefore impossible. She then tells Sarah that this is in the hopes of restoring their relationship. As they struggle to find a way out, the women realize they are not alone, as they have disturbed a nest of humanoid cave dwellers that will do anything to protect the nest. Okay, The Descent, 2005, directed by Neil Marshall, who three years prior in 2002, he did a movie called Dog Soldiers, which is about werewolves. Um, he did the. He also did the remake of Hellboy in 2019, as well as directing several TV show episodes, including the new Lost in Space on Netflix, Game of Thrones, the Constantine live-action TV show, and Westworld. Spency, give us your um, your initial impressions of The Descent. So uh, this is my first time ever watching The Descent, and you know I was not ready for what it dished out to me. I loved it, really. I really did. I was not <laughs> expecting it to go as crazy as it did and as logical as it did as well. Because after, you know, these women find themselves in this cave and we cave and we get to see some tragedy at the beginning. Very sudden right. tragedy. Yes. <laughs> so uh, this movie had quite a few jump scares and I would say seven out of ten of the jump scares were... Um, as a spitballing number, were were effective. There yes. were a few that I found really, really campy and didn't really get me that hard. And I felt like they were only being used as ways to remind us to just stay on the edge of our seat. You know, that we're, we're not safe. And we should never go cave exploring. Well, yeah, that's kind of the lesson. <laughs> that's the takeaway. Um, well, it's more like don't go cave exploring without a professional and a book. Right, yes. <laughs> That's Who knows the big thing. where they're going and is telling you where they're going. Uh, so anyway, I found it extremely scary uh, because the basically the first half is this intense cave-dwelling experience where some people get stuck and some people get injured. And, you know, you're now you're, like, kind of fighting for survival against the elements. You know, what are we going to do? Or what are we, where are we going to go? And I thought that was awesome. And then... You know, it just gets worse and worse from there because the second half is a full-on creature feature. Right. And you, you, like you said, you're fighting against the elements, and then they throw in these monsters. It's like, oh, it could, could out of one frying pan into another frying pan, as it were. Yeah, it was... And these monsters were so well executed because they didn't draw it out. They didn't make it make it super, super painful for us to like sit there and wait for the monsters to make their move you know we got to eventually see what we were dealing with how we were going to deal with it and what they were capable of and as far as i could tell the movie all it did was up the stakes as time went on and i enjoyed that thoroughly it didn't deviate from what it was trying to do and it didn't really go into territory that was unnecessary i feel like this was a very well written piece and absolutely very effectively scary because it used very like varying levels of like fear to kind of deal with us and you know i loved it because at the beginning you know they're, they're in the cave and then they get locked in the cave and now they're like oh crap what are we going to do now and then they have a little bit of infighting trying to survive and then when they realize that they're not in the cave they thought they were in yeah so they now they're trapped and now they don't know where they are and they're all hoping to hopefully find a way out and hopefully survive and it takes a whole lot of effort and we're all on the edge of our seat because we don't want anyone to fall we don't want anyone to get hurt which, right which which will happen <laughs> and uh then we slowly are getting from the beginning we're getting 
details that essentially are there's something going on there's some kind of crazy hunter predator here that is like really powerful leaving marks on the rocks and killing moose which are massive well, yeah even before they go into the cave there's a dead as um skeleton of a oh, not a skeleton but a dead moose out in front of the cave entrance and they can't figure out how it got killed yeah there's no they're like maybe it's a bear and then you know all those bears aren't really from this area that's weird you know it's it's really, really creepy, and you're like, okay. And then the movie really gives it a solid 20 minutes, 30 minutes of just us being <laughs> trapped in the cave with them, and I thought right. that was great. And then you, they get stalked more by these creatures, and you get like a weird, far-off sight of them. You're like, oh, what the heck could that be? And then there's more elements fighting, and then there's a very, very, very quality jump scare that actually shows kind of what we're dealing with. Right. And it just gets worse from there. <laughs> and it's very claustrophobic, especially the scene where they're cr kind of crawling through this tiny little thing, which I'm go yelling at the TV going, why? Why would you even do that? Why are you going through there? And then the cave starts to collapse on them. And, oh, just it's just it's, I, 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 I think I maybe have a mild case of claustrophobia. And this really definitely played on that and made it like worse for me. Yeah, I think everyone is very, very upset. Not necessarily with small rooms. I think that's a real case of claustrophobia. But when your arms are trapped and then all of a sudden you get stuck. Right. That's that's real, real acceptable claustrophobia. Because right. even I was like, I don't really have any kind of claustrophobia. I mean, as long as I can kind of move. And then all of a sudden, one of the characters couldn't move. Right. I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay, okay, I don't like this. <laughs> can I return this, please? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and now, the story itself, I think, is very minimal, but would you agree this was Sarah's tale? Yeah, it, yeah. it was. So she's the one who, at the beginning, um, they, uh, her and a couple of the other girls are on, like, a whitewater rafting trip, and then at the end, they get, you know, they arrive at the shore, and she goes off with her husband, but there was a little something there, because the husband looked at Juno, one of the other girls. I probably should read the character list. You've got uh, a handful of women here. There's Sarah. Juno, Beth, Rebecca, Sam, Holly, and Holly, uh, and then Paul. Paul was the husband. I was I was reading the list here. So Paul looked at Juno, and something exchanged between them. Uh, you know, but just from there looking at each other, she knew there was something there. At first, I thought he was her husband or boyfriend or whatever, but then he went off with Sarah. But then when that happened, Beth was kind of looking over her shoulder. She saw that. And then Juno looked at her and they exchanged a glance. Nothing was said, but you knew that you could surmise that, okay, something was going on between Juno and Paul and Beth knew about it, but Sarah didn't. And so then, of course, there's the accident and Paul and their daughter is killed in the car accident. Year later, they get together to go do this cave exploring thing. It's like they've got a new girl now, Holly. She's part of the team now. She seems like she's gung-ho, kind of a tough girl going into it. But there's still that whole thing hanging over because there's one point where one of the characters, I think it was Beth, says something about Sarah's accident. Not not to Sarah or in front of her, but she's talking to Juno and Juno says, she's not the only person that lost something in that accident. And that's when you kind of go, oh, there was something between Juno and Paul. I just thought that was, and that was it really. And then it was like, it was really Sarah trying to put her life back together prove that she can do this cave exploring thing they all thought they were going to go into this cave that they had a map and it wouldn't be all that dangerous it's a tourist kind of place and juno 
I think Juno seems like she had something to prove. She leaves the book in the car that supposedly has the map to the cave, but she led them to a place that wasn't even the cave that the book was about. And that's where a lot of contention lies. So with very minimal plot, I think it's very effective for the characters going into this. Yeah, it wasn't about all these events unfolding. It was about these girls getting stuck in a cave system they knew nothing about and being very concerned with already this crazy friendship tension between a few of them. And then things start getting even worse for them. Right. And it becomes a matter of survival. And one thing I was thinking of when I'm watching this movie as these these women were trying to, you know, they all had different skills to uh, to throw into the group. And there was the one girl, I can't remember which one it was. She like they came to they come to this basically the end of this cave and it ends at a chasm. But then there's another opening across the chasm on the other side so the one girl climbs up and she's got these uh, i don't know anything about mountain, mountain climbing so i don't know what they're called but she's got these things that you squeeze them and it, the end of it coils in and then you stick it up into the rock like between rocks and it, when you let go it expands and then you can hook your rope onto that with the carabiners and she like so she was able to do that like freehand just climb across the whole chasm the ceiling of the chasm inserting these things along the way so they could run the ropes through but my point is that these women you know put in these situations they there are a lot of points through the movie where they do these things they it, it implement these skills that i don't think i would have the skills to do what they did in in that situation although I'm, hopefully i would never be in that situation but yeah i mean it's a tough tough call especially though you have to remember that they have some experience with mountain climbing and caving a little bit so well that's true this isn't exactly their first rodeo this is just the highest stakes they've ever had but like there's one point where sarah her uh she's using the night vision on the video camera to see and then when the battery dies on that she takes she finds an old lantern and thinks to take the you know some cloth wrap it around the end of an axe handle um soak it with the with the lamp oil and then light it up and use it as a torch i thought that was very innovative and and really awesome but again i just as i'm watching that scene i'm thinking geez i don't know if i would have thought to do that yeah i mean it's especially when you're crapping your pants being attacked by these monsters yeah and let's let's talk about these monsters for a second these these things are creepy they're well at one point one of the girls determines that they're humans but They've been living in the caves for so long. They, they've they evolved. Their skin is pale. They've never seen the light of day. Or at least, I mean, they do say that they go out to the top and hunt and then bring the food back like that moose. But they're, they're basically pale. They're blind because they live in total darkness, but their ears are large and bat-like. And that's how they get around is through sound. They don't really use smell that much. No, I, and I don't think they would because, I mean, a cave would probably be full of a musty smell of microorganisms. That's true. You probably really can't actually smell anything. Um, and, you know, they, and um, I heard, uh, my, I watched this with my girlfriend, and she basically made a good conjecture that echolocation, that's probably how they were getting around. Oh, right. Because they knew their way around the caves way better than you would think a blind thing could. Right. Because it looks like they could have some sort of night vision, but then they come really close to seeing these women, and they don't. So... Yeah, and they could somehow climb up the walls, climb across the ceilings and stuff. Yeah, and they, I noticed that they didn't actually have any claws. If you notice, actually, they look like bats. 
Right. They they didn't have any sharp, crazy teeth. They weren't like they weren't full blown predators of their situation. It really did look like they evolved to that point, and they were almost in like the middle point of an evolution to being a proper species. Yeah, that makes sense. And they weren't they weren't monsters that like in the traditional sense where they go out and kill people for no reason. I think they were killing to well a for food and b to protect their nest. Yeah, definitely. Because at the very beginning, you know, it feels like we're getting stalked by one. Oh, turns out there's two. Okay, so be it. And then eventually it turns out that there's a whole nest a bunch living down of them. Here. Yeah. There's a lot of them living <laughs> a down gaggle. here. And when the first um when the first girl gets killed, Holly, when she gets uh, murdered, she was injured and then of course she gets her neck bitten out by these things. It, their teeth look like ours, and the, the creature that killed her was trying to keep the body. Right. They wanted to eat her. It right. wanted to bring, bring her back. to wherever they bring their food. It right. wasn't. It wasn't just trying to hunt them and kill them, and you know, for whatever enjoyment, sick enjoyment that these killers get out of it. It really was just animals. And the creature effects. The creature effects were incredible. I mean, they looked really good. The costumes were awesome. It was creepy. And um, based on the credits, the creatures were all played by different people. Oh, really? Yeah. They, like, they had a whole section called, they call them crawlers. Oh, okay. And they were all, like, played by different people. That's cool. Well, it would make sense, you know. Because they weren't CGI'd in. It wasn't like you could have an Andy Serkis play all the creatures. You know, it's you had to have. It was all practical effects. I mean, the effect of the of Holly breaking her leg and the bone sticking out. Oh my god, that was horrible. But it was so good. It was such a great effect. Yeah, it was very very it brutal. Real. And I was very much enjoying it. Like I said, like seven out of the ten jump scares that they probably had in the movie were awesome. And probably the best one. Now, I don't usually get jump scared by movies because a lot of times you can kind of guess when it happens or it it comes off a really loud music piece. So it's actually not as sudden as they want it to be. But this one was the girls were really, really scared that they heard something or saw something based and they have the video camera. They don't have any lights on They All they have is their they called it infrared. It's a night right, vision video night vision, camera. Yeah. Um, which I think is actually a fair mistake to make. Right, yeah. You could call that a writing error, but either way, it was still an interesting mistake as they're probably not crazy camera work girls. And she pulls it out and she's like waving it around. You're seeing all the all the girls are huddling in a big group of worried what's going on, what's going on. And then it moves off to the side and standing next to them, wicked tall, is one of the creatures. In the camera lens. And they, and <laughs> the viewfinder. Like, and they have like, um, you know... They're all bald. They don't have any hair. They're right. all wicked, wicked pale. And they're tall. Right. And God, it was it terrifying. <laughs> now, one of them did have hair. It was a f- clearly a female. It had breasts. Yeah. That was, that one had hair, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So I almost wonder, I thought, at least at first, um, now I'm a product of the video game generation when it comes to horror. I was thinking of the game Until Dawn, which is a PS4 game where basically your choices matter. It's built like a 80s horror movie, yeah. but you make choices based on the character you're playing. So it's like go left or right and you could get killed either way. Right. And it's kind of interesting because you actually can affect the outcome of the story. And with that comes the whole, um, I thought they were Wendigos, which are humans that are cursed into becoming monsters that look like that, where they're pale and um i think blind realistically speaking and they hmm. use like sound and they like like long lanky no hair 
but they're people that become that. So they're not necessarily made like that, like a species would be. So I was thinking that they were cavers who became that. But then I kind of got that theory shot down when they were kind of a whole nest and species. Right. Because they were killing everybody. There was no survivors. And I could be wrong, but I think at one point there was, when they introduced the female, I forget which character it was. I think it was Sarah. I thought she killed a little one, a smaller one of yeah, these creatures. Yeah. And that's when the female came out and attacked her. And I, I was I mistaken or I I need to rewatch it to make to see if you're totally right, but I I do remember her killing the small one and then yeah, you're probably right that a, a little after that did the female come out? Yeah, like the mother. And I've thought that was really really interesting. Yeah, they they really um it was very unique. We hadn't really seen anything like this in movies. We'll return to 13 Days of Hallowtober after these messages. Hey folks, I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts, podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcasts on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. 
Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Stadium. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. And, you know, to touch on, you had mentioned jump scares. A lot of modern films rely on jump scares, and that doesn't make the movie scary. Yeah, those scenes were scary at the time, but then, because you jumped. But this movie... While it does have jump scares, and they are really good jump scares, especially if you haven't seen the film before, um, the whole thing is just terrifying. Yeah, the claustrophobia, because, the yeah. dangers of the cave. Yeah, and you're in their territory. That's right. the scary part is that they know what they're doing. Home field advantage, yeah. They have full full home field advantage. And there's a great moment where the girls are being really, really stealthy and trying to move along, and they have the camera, and the camera, the, one of them holds it, in some way where you could see the ceiling and it pans past one of the creatures holding itself up yes. across the ceiling, <laughs> but it's like still listening. It couldn't quite be certain that they were right under it. Right. So it was like, it was really scary, but it was also like, uh, okay, there might be hope here. Right. Now we have one interesting element that sort of happens near the climax of the films where, um, you know, we've lost a few of the girls here and they've all, there's a point where they all end up splitting up because, the, the so many of the monsters descend on them they freak and they all just run in different directions and they're trying to each fi find their way back find their way back to each other as well as finding a way out and juno is is basically having a kung fu battle with one of these creatures she's just going house 
kicking and punching or whatever. I think she may have killed one, maybe two. I think this was the first time we actually saw any of them killed. Was it? Okay, I yeah. Think this was the first. Fight. And then she she kills it, and something comes up behind her. She swings her. It was like a, um. Or pickaxe. It was a pickaxe. Yeah. She swings it, hits it right in the throat, and come to find out it was Beth. And right the the whole movie just comes to a halt. You're like, oh crud. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> and a big, Beth big is just thing. like looking at her. The thing sticking because she swung it so that it hit the back of her neck and protruded out of the front of her neck, and that was just that was intense. But what made it even more intense in terms of the story was not only did Juno kill her friend completely by accident. I mean, it was in the in the midst of fighting. She pulls the thing out of her throat and lets her die. And just leaves her and doesn't tell the others what happened. And yeah. I thought that was a big mistake on her character's part. And especially the fact that eventually Sarah actually manages to fight her way out of a couple of the monster's grasps. And she finds um, Beth right. bleeding out, dying, who was kind of left by the monsters and thrown to wherever they keep their food. And, you know, she finds her and is basically like, oh, no. We need to like, you know, we need to do this. We need to, I need to save you. And Beth's like, I'm dead weight. I'm going to die anyways. Right. Can you just kill me now? Don't trust Juno. And right. So, and before that, she, oh, maybe it was after that, but she was, she was basically going on about Juno and don't trust her. Don't trust her. Yeah. And so eventually Sarah grabs Juno from, from certain death. But wait, before that, Beth had grabbed Juno's necklace. She had this leaf shaped necklace. Oh, yes. And it was in her hand, and Sarah finds that in her hand. And on the back side of the leaf was um, it was a phrase. That Sarah had said to her husband. That was some yeah. sort of inside joke between them. Yes. And he had obviously given that to Juno. And so when Beth had that in her hand, and then Sarah finds it, and she looks at it and goes, oh, this is, this is Juno's necklace, and reads the phrase. And it was like it was like one day at a time or something was the phrase or you could just tell it was great. They implied it that she would put two and two together in her head that there was something previously between her late husband, Paul and Juno. Yeah. And so eventually Juno and Sarah come back together. They meet face to face and Sarah and they're asking each other, you know, who's still alive? Juno basically says everyone on my end is dead. And Sarah goes, well, everyone on my end is dead. And Beth and Juno go, and Juno goes, well, I watched Beth die. Right. And that was completely a lie because we know that Sarah was the one that actually had mercy killed her. Right. And so that's when, and you could see in Sarah's face that she like has a bit of a twitch because now she's fighting for her life and going full blown, you know, survival gung ho mode. And she knows that Juno is, go, it does not care about anyone else and will do whatever it takes for her own skin. Right. And at the very end, of course, you know, Sarah being the badass she is, takes out her lovely pickaxe after they had just fought off a few of the crawlers. Right. They actually managed to kill them. Working she, together. She stabs Juno in the leg and then runs. Yeah. Like a <laughs> bitch. I thought she was going to like holler so that the monsters would come running and then she'd take off and Juno would get swarmed by them. But she didn't actually do that. No, because I think she knew that at the end of the day... Juno, she didn't have to run faster than the monsters. She had to run faster than, than Juno. Juno. Right. And now she had just crippled her. <laughs> yeah. And so we actually, we didn't see Juno die. I will no, say that. Because yeah. I would like to see, I think there's a part two to this There is movie. a part two to this, yes, which I have not seen. And I, we didn't see Juno die. We saw Juno face to face with the monsters that were coming at her. It was a whole, like, you know, gaggle of them. So she was, you know, probably terrified, bleeding out of her leg. 
and holding her own axe to try and survive. And then uh, basically we see Sarah, you know, she kind of, I think she fell somewhere and she hit the ground. And right. all of a sudden, do we want to mention the full ending? Um, let's leave the ending. Yeah, I'll leave that. Yeah. The ending. And so after she was falls, she hits the ground. And that's interesting. That. Yeah. But this very, this movie was awesome. And I'd like to touch upon myself, the music. Yes. I was just going to bring that up. Well, before you do that, let me just mention first, because this is add, yeah. adds to what you were saying, the opening credits and in fact, the end credits, the font looks almost identical to the font used in John Carpenter's The Thing. And then what were you going to say? I was going to say the music actually very much mirrors John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Um, because it almost sounds identical because John Carpenter's The Thing has that little heartbeat and then the um, doom, little doom, strumming of doom, the guitar. Doom, like, doom, doom. Yeah, that. <laughs> has, it has the heartbeat with the strumming. And this basically sounded like that except slightly faster. It sounded almost yeah. identical, but it was definitely different enough that the untrained ear wouldn't really notice it, but I've listened to that so often that I'm like, I'm hearing it. I'm right. hearing that. And it wasn't right off the bat either. It wasn't until like they were knee deep in fighting monsters that you started to hear yeah. the John Carpenter music. Once things started really kicking off and you know, the, the claustrophobia of it really never ceased. There were, it was all in enclosed spaces. Very rarely did they have bigger open spaces. And if they did, it was covered in bones and guts. Right. Right. Or a pool of whatever that was that, Blood, definitely blood. Was it blood? I mean, it could have been the way it was lit. I mean, there was white crap floating on the top. It could have been their toilet. You know what I mean? It could have... Yeah, there was a big <laughs> pool of what I'm going to guess is blood yeah. for the safety. And then you mentioned, like, what are they, they going to worry about disease? And I had to respond with, I don't think they're caring about that right now. I think they want to live. The thing is, if that was a pool of blood, it would have coagulated unless the cave was hot. Yeah, it might have been. So it's it's possible the cave was was it was warm in there. It definitely didn't look like they were having any sort of chill issues. No, that's true, and it was winter time. I think when they went into the cave, wasn't it? They were yeah, exactly. they were wearing ski hats and stuff on the way in. So yeah, there's an it can go anyway, you know. And, and I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot scarier than I really expected because I kind of thought it was gonna be. It was called the descent. It wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't called girl versus monster. It was, yeah. it was the descent. So I'm thinking, okay, they're going to go into this cave. Shit's going to hit the fan. They're all going to lose their minds and maybe kill each other. Right. Not even just a descent into the ground or into a cave, but it was a descent into madness to some, for some of the characters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could argue that both Juno and Sarah lost their minds throughout the course of this film. I mean, Juno to the point where she... Killed a friend. Okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about that. And I'm not gonna tell anyone. And you know, kind of move down this insane dark path, while Sarah is trying to get back to the light. Yeah, exactly. You know, trying to find her way out. And I just, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. A lot of the jump scares were extremely well placed. Like even as it was in 2005, so it was at kind of the the new age of horror movies with a lot right. of the computer generated effects being really good and. A lot of the, some of the tropes being both used and newer ones being made at the same time. So I actually expected a couple of jump scares that I was really disappointed happened. But because this was the beginning of the era, really, of current horror movies, I was like, you know what? It's okay. It's it's well placed for the time. I saw this when it came out on DVD. I did not see it in the movies. I don't know if it had a theatrical release. It probably did. I think it was like a a mix of an American and foreign production because a lot of the characters were, were Australian. I, I saw this Scottish. 
Scottish, some were Scottish, some were Australian. I'd I have to so. go look that up. I apologize for not doing my homework before this podcast. But when I first saw this, I watched it with a buddy of mine. And it was, you know, at night, sitting in the house. Kids are asleep upstairs and my wife's at work. And uh, we screamed like schoolgirls through this movie. <laughs> it was absolutely the most terrifying film I had seen in a long time. And to, to this day, I, haven't, I hadn't actually been able to watch it, even though I owned it on DVD because I was too scared. And I, there was, you know, I could never get someone to watch it with me. Finally, got the family together again, and we all watched it. And uh, I think we all enjoyed having the pants scared off us. Oh, this was effectively scary, a lot scarier than I really was ready for. And uh, like I keep saying, every every episode I want to say it, I love monsters. I love right. creepy creatures. And I was happy that we got to see some really creepy stalking moments. There's this moment where I think it was Sarah is shining her flashlight down the hall um, of one of the one of the rock formations and you can only see her flashlight and she f- kind of focuses on this moving weird mass of whatever and then all of a sudden a face a white human face turns and looks at us the audience right <laughs> I, I lost my shit i was like no nope, no nope, i don't like it i'm scared okay i'm officially creeped out because we didn't know anything about the monsters that was the best look we had had at least for the first 45 minutes right and it was it was awesome and then we actually will eventually get to see the monsters in action see them do different things the smarter they get the smarter we get and it was just it was just really really good and it's interesting one last topic i'll, I'll touch on here since this kind of goes with the theme of what we're doing here with the 13 days of Hallowtober, is we're trying to discuss films that are widely regarded as being scary or terrifying and also films that we find scary. And a lot of times when you watch a movie, especially an older film, when I say older, I mean prior to 1990, you have to take with it the time period in which it was made. For example, The Wolfman, when it came out, was scary for its time. It scared audiences. Nowadays, it's the kind of movie you could you could have children watch, and it's scary, but it's tame enough for them. But this movie, I think not just because of the jump scares, but also because of the atmosphere and the situation, it's terrifying all the way through. And I think this one will definitely hold up for you know future generations to watch because because of everything that we talked about in this episode today. Would, would you agree? Definitely, yeah. It's definitely one of those movies that I was not ready for it to be as scary as it was and as well done as it was. And the fact that it really was a, a crazy focus on... Just the claustrophobia mixed with the threat we really don't get to see all that often. Right. We right. really don't. In, in a situation don't. that you're not in all the time. Who, who really goes cave exploring it? Exactly. You know, and it's just. <laughs> what's, what's the lesson we learned from this movie? Don't trust Juno. Don't go cave exploring. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was, it was a mixture. I clearly saw a mixture of human arrogance, but then nature. Right. It yes. was it wasn't all the monsters were there because they were already there. Anyone who was smart enough to not to to not go to where they didn't have knowledge of right. would actually have been fine. The monsters clearly did not do that. If there's a if it's a tourist trap that's in a cave that's connected to these crazy crawler monsters I don't think that many tourists are getting mauled by or getting kidnapped and carried off by these crawlers. Right, right, exactly. So clearly it was a mix of don't go to places you're not really certain of without the the way out kind of deal. Right. They, they crawled in into a place that had caved in. Right. So, and, and they found evidence that other people had explored that cave 100 years ago. 
because it's based it, on bits of equipment that were and found. And it was still unnamed and undiscovered, quote right. unquote, meaning right. nobody who went in came out. And one thing you said that made me think too was, um, you know, it was ego versus nature, man's ego versus nature. There is no, as far as we can tell, there's no supernatural origin to these creatures. They're not aliens. They're not demons. They're they're just humans that lived in caves, and this is what a human would look like if you lived in a cave for generation after generation. So it's definitely, in my in my opinion, I agree with your assessment that it's it's the human ego versus nature. Yeah, definitely. There's no there's no there's no weirdness other than we've never seen anything like this before. Right. And I I feel like you could take a concept like this of people in situations that evolve differently and turn it into other things too. You know, you could have you know, you could have things like, I don't know, Bigfoot and the the abominable snowman is really just a different you know, subspecies of humanity that has stuck to one environment. Right. It, it, their brains didn't grow, their bodies changed. Like ours kind to of adapt, stopped. yeah. Our bodies stopped changing a long time ago. Right. But our brains didn't. Right. So um, in closing here, would you recommend this to a young person? When I say young, I say under, you know, 20s or younger. Oh, God, yes. If you're <laughs> if you want a good, scary movie, this one will do it. I don't know really anyone who's going to sit here and laugh through the entire thing. Right. I know some people do laugh in gory, scary films. And I, I understand that. But to tell me that like none of these scares are good and that the atmosphere is, you know, not well done is just I would just totally disagree this is an excellent movie an excellent scary film an excellent horror film because the gore does show up we do get to see things we get right there is a lot of gore in this film but we get great views of the monsters we're fighting we don't they don't really hold anything back from us and they leave it to our imaginations for the first half which makes it that much scarier then once we get a grasp on what we're fighting they up the ante by making us fight more of them and in even worse situations geographically speaking right right exactly. so it gets better and better and within better. the cave very so. much enjoyed i thought it was very scary and i actually kind of want to watch it again <laughs> yeah same here um so i highly recommend the the um the descent it's a very scary movie. I think it definitely goes down as one of the top scariest films of all time. And uh, that's it. So check it out when you get a chance. Um, so that's it for this week's episode, or today's episode, I should say, of uh, Then Is Now Podcast. I'm your host, Vigor. I'm Spency Dompies. And we'll talk to you again soon. Well, we hope you enjoyed this special edition episode of Then Is Now called 13 Days of Hallotober. If you want to chime in on today's show, please send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, havenpodcasts.com. And we have another show called The East Meets the West, where we discuss spaghetti westerns and shaw brothers movies so we hope you check that show out as well as always please leave us a review on itunes so that more people can find us and spread the word about then is now join us again next episode
Darkness Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.